Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, January 14th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Y Train Bowie. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, let's just jump right in. We have a lot of news to get to today. And HC, let's start with you because uh, you just wrote and, and published an article that is uh, sort of a sending shockwaves to the Marvel Cinematic Universe community right now. What is the latest MCU news that we all should know about? Yeah, the big news today is that Chris Evans is reportedly in talks to make a return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, after he supposedly retired the character in Avengers Endgame. Uh, its deadline broke the news that Chris Evans is closing in on a deal to reprise his role uh, in at least one Marvel property with the door open for a second film. However, they won't likely won't be Captain America solo projects, but in ensemble or other superhero solo films akin to how Robert Downey Jr. operated in the MCU post Iron Man 3 with appearances in Captain America's Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, and of course the Avengers movies. And this comes as a big surprise because not only did the character have a really fitting um, and 
uh, emotional ending in Avengers Endgame in which he we see him as old man Steve Rogers and he hands the shield, passes the torch to uh, Anthony Mackie's Falcon. Uh, it's a surprise that because Chris Evans has been very vocal about not wanting to return to the MCU, very been very uh, excited to hang up his hat as well as his shield. Uh, but apparently the talks in recent months have changed his mind uh, and we still don't know in what capacity Steve Rogers will be returning, whether it will be as young Steve Rogers uh, or whether it will be as old man Steve. Uh, it would seem unlikely if Marvel would bring back uh, Chris Evans just to put a bunch of makeup on him. But there is some precedent in the comics. This is pointed out by Jacob because he is a longtime Marvel Comics reader. Um, in the Siege comic event in 2010, uh, Steve is an older uh, character and he passes on the Captain America identity to Bucky Barnes but sticks around to act as director of S.H.I.E.L.D.S. going under the title Commander Rogers uh, complete with a nifty new suit so um, it's that's one of the likelihoods that they could go or because there's the expanding Marvel Universe in the Disney Plus titles we could see something that, that takes place earlier in the MCU chronology with young Steve popping up uh, in various times in the MCU timeline, maybe even World War II stuff. Who knows? Anyways, characters are never dead. <laughs> Marvel <laughs> will go on forever. Blah, blah, blah. Can I, I mean, this pitch to you guys about this? Yes. Yes. What if this is Secret Invasion and Chris Evans is playing the villain, a scroll who disguised himself as Captain America? That was, oh. my, that was my galaxy brain. How can I make this sound okay to me? <laughs> idea because i just don't see the point in bringing steve rogers back let's do something wild with him it has to be something wild right otherwise what's the point yeah i think that that because um that that makes the most sense but it also seems like something that's i don't know arguably too big to like make for like a big twist in in a marvel show like you would think you would want to do something like that in a in a movie but Mar i know marvel is treating their shows essentially like longer movies so it's it's not all the realm of possibility but that would be the the best thing where everyone thinks cap is back and he really isn't. Yeah. And I think that would, that would go a long way toward not undermining that emotional finale that happened in Avengers Endgame, Like you're talking about HT. So, I mean, yeah, Jacob, I think, I mean, Jacob, you like HT mentioned, you've read this comic. You, you are sort of familiar with the dynamic on the page. If they were to bring cap uh, back as just like this old man, do you think like what kind of capacity do you think that that would be like what what uh interesting how does that how is that interesting for chris evans as a performer well it's been over a decade since i read this and all i remember is like images in my head a captain america on the sidelines wearing a different suit uh sometimes young sometimes older depending upon <laughs> comics and it was just a, a case where for oh goodness here we go they killed captain america for a little while and then uh, Bucky Barnes became Captain America, uh, a.k.a. Winter Soldier. Then Captain America turned to be alive. Um, he became Captain America again. Then he gave it back to Bucky Barnes and became head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And they killed Bucky and became Captain America again. And Bucky <laughs> was still alive. Um, so this is it's all nonsense. It's all incredible nonsense. And I, I, I think it really does undermine Endgame if they do this. But in my in my uh, comic book brain, in the corner of my brain that reads superhero comics and judges on its own terms, it's a that comic book writing is a game of you know short short stories adding up over time. And Captain America dies and is reborn, 
every five years or so because because <laughs> somebody has a new great pitch for why Captain America should be back or why he should die. And it's frustrating when you look at it in a cinematic view where you want a coherent movie universe with things that matter. Uh, so it's really hard for me to look at this and, and say, here is an example from the comics of why this is a good idea or why it's a bad idea because comics are your own own medium entirely with a whole mm-hmm. set, different set of rules with a both a simultaneously long memory and a short memory so i can't even tell you like how this would function because the truth is i do not know hc let me just ask you are you excited about the idea of seeing more chris evans in the mcu or would you rather see him like branch out and, and do completely other non-marvel things now yeah, I can't say I am excited to see him back at the MCU as much of a fondness I have as I have for Steve Rogers and how he portrayed him. I think that Steve's story is done, and I like the way that they ended it, and I thought that was very fitting and uh, uh, heartwarming. And I just think that uh, Chris Evans, just in his latest like post Avengers role in Knives Out, was showed that he could do more things and could be something more than the stalwart. Uh, sort of hero and I I think I I, uh, empathize with him wanting to branch out too so I think it's just kind of a it's a very safe choice on Marvel's part to bring back one of the faces of of MCU for so long but um, if they do something interesting with it I'd be willing to give it a chance yeah all right let's move on to some video game news Brad a new Star Wars video game is coming out and it's not coming from EA which I think is the company that held the license for Star Wars stuff uh, or has held that license for uh, a little while now so tell us about this new Star Wars video game yeah so uh, EA has made a series of Star Wars video games uh, with varying results and mixed reviews uh there's been battlefront which uh the sequel ended up being better than the original because of uh, updates improving gameplay there was jedi fallen order which was probably the best out of the batch and then squadrons which kind of arrived without really much pomp and circumstance and uh hasn't really you know necessarily been all that exciting and it seems like lucasfilm games uh which had just recently rebranded itself as the overall new identity for video game titles coming from lucasfilm and based on various properties that they own are looking to expand and create something entirely different by having ubisoft's uh company massive entertainment a swedish uh game swedish based game studio create a new open world story driven star wars video game uh there's no specifics as to what the story will entail or when in the star wars galaxy uh it will be set or anything like that but uh it's the fact that this is an open world game is exciting in itself because we have yet to see um, a Star Wars game kind of on that scale. The closest thing I think that we came to was um, you know, uh, having the Knights of the Old Republic franchise. But there was once a game in the works called Star Wars 1313 that was meant to be an open world game that took place in the criminal uh, underworld of the Star Wars galaxy. But that ended up getting canceled and never saw the light of day. So the fact that this is coming back and they want to do something that really immerses people in the Star Wars universe, uh, lets them do you know an endless variety of things, uh, it's something that's really exciting. So, uh, Jacob, I know you're a, a video game player. You're familiar with these brands and things like that. What, what do you know about Ubisoft as a company? Do you think that they're like the right fit for this as opposed to a company like EA? Uh, in short, yes. When Lucasfilm and EA made this deal, I think the assumption was that they would have a regular steady stream of Star Wars games coming out on the, on the regular. And they only made four games in far more than four years. And I think that's... And they all received very mixed reviews jedi fallen order being the one that people seem to like the most the other three being ones that really seem to leave people disappointed 
and Ubisoft has made a habit out of annualizing franchises. They released an Assassin an Assassin's Creed game a year. They released a Ghost Recon game like every year or, or so. The, a Far Cry game every two years minimum. It feels like they are a machine. They're a massive, massive corporation. They have many studios under their wing, and they have the capacity to generate tons and tons of Star Wars stuff. However, the caveat here is that in the same way that people always accuse uh, Marvel of you know, having that same unifying, maybe even slightly stifling vision where, you know, you kind of know, you, you kind of know what you're going to get when you fire up a Marvel project. Ubisoft's the same way with open world games. I mean, all their games kind of have a similar, similar structure, which is massive open world, maybe too large with maybe too much to do. And a case where there's so much to do and so little that it feels carefully curated that you kind of have to maybe put on a podcast while you play some of it to make sure you're not too bored. And it's like, you want to reveal more map, climb a tower. I mean, if you've, played Ubisoft game in the past 15 years, you have wandered up to a tower, climbed that tower, revealed more of your map, saw a bunch of icons appear in your map, and then and the game says, go climb their tower to find more icons. That's that's Ubisoft. That's the kind of games they make. And <laughs> it's a very addictive loop. If, if you find yourself ensnared by an Ubisoft game, you will play it to the bitter end because it's very addictive and they make games that draw you in. But at the same time, they don't always make games that are incredibly great. Like, truly uh narratively efficient or not narratively efficient what does that even mean narratively interesting or you know groundbreaking in how they treat their their material mm-hmm. so it's a case where it's an incredibly safe choice ubisoft will make a good star wars game that's what they do they make games and they come out and they usually work which is how they can say for most uh games in this climate uh but yeah it's incredibly safe i guarantee you'll be fun Will it be the great Star Wars game we're hoping for? I honestly do not know. I don't think Ubisoft has it in them. All right, let's move on to one more piece of video game news, and that is that there is an Indiana Jones video game coming. Uh, this one kind of surprised me. I, there hasn't been an Indiana Jones game in quite some time, it feels like. HT, tell us the details about this one. Yeah, so Bethesda, the video game developer and publisher that is behind hit games like Fallout and The Elder Scrolls, announced that a new Indiana Jones video game is being made by their studio, uh, their studio Machine Games, uh, which was behind the recent Wolfenstein games um, that also featured a lot of punching Nazis and brought it back to the zeitgeist, you might say. So uh, this new untitled game uh, is in the works. It's very early works. Uh, there isn't much news from it yet. Uh, and Bethesda said on Twitter that it'll be some time before we have more to reveal, but they're very excited to share today's news. And I actually do not know much about uh, machine games, but Jacob does. So I want to hand the baton over to him to talk about why this is exciting. It's increasingly clear why I'm on this podcast. I guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, uh, Bethesda, the publisher of this, they're a massive, massive company who own lots of other companies and were just acquired by Microsoft. So that's a whole other story. But one of the studios under their wing is Machine Games. And the Wolfenstein games are this resurrection of a very old school video game series that essentially imagine what if the Nazis won World War II? And what if you are a resistance fighter fighting the Nazis in 1960s America and Europe? And Wolfenstein 2 in particular from a few years ago is one of the most narratively interesting and audacious games I've ever played. It does not handle great. There are better game. There are games out there that handle beautifully where the shooting feels really good and the action feels great. But there are games out there that, that feel a lot better. But in terms of set pieces and characters and story and tone, machine games, uh, present something that's utterly unique and special. 
and Wolfenstein feels nothing like Indiana Jones, aside from, you know, Nazis being punched or obliterated with rocket launchers in the case of the video game. Uh, so I'm very curious to see what they do here because I think that there's few companies out there who have managed to like really capture the feeling of existing in a unique world surrounded by people you care about in a, in a landscape in which you feel like you're actively participating as opposed to, you know, just running through levels. So I'm, I do not know what a machine games Indiana Jones video game looks like. I don't. Uh, however, I do think that they're such an inspired choice just because they're not an obvious choice. They could have, they could have taken to the square Enix who made the Tomb Raider games uh, or the naughty dog who makes the uncharted games, which brazen, blazingly, brazenly rip off <laughs> Indiana Jones. And said they went to somebody who's story and character first. And I really hope it pays off because I would love to see them make a great Indiana Jones game. AC, I know you dabble a little bit in the video game world. You're you're very fond of the uh, very, Kingdom very Hearts little. series. Um, but are, do you have any interest in uh, playing an Indiana Jones video game at all? Um, I don't think I would. But I do like puzzle solving. So if there's some puzzle solving and maps and detectiving, then I'm down for it. Yeah, it seems, sort of seems like they would kind of have to to incorporate those elements in there. Um, Brad, what do you think? Are we, uh, have you played any previous Indiana Jones games? I mean, the last time, one that I can think of that I played was like on my family PC when I was a kid, like a, a 2D side scroller from, you know, probably like the late 90s or something. So uh, I have not played a more recent one. I don't know if you're any more familiar with the uh, Indiana Jones video game world. No, I'm not. Uh, the last Indiana Jones game I played was Lego Indiana Jones. Uh, oh, okay. So, yeah, so, and that's fun, uh, but it's, you know, something completely different from what you would expect from a regular Indiana Jones game. Um, but this I'm, I'm intrigued by, you know, it's, um, I don't have a ton of time for, for video games. You know, I try to play what I'm most interested in when I can, um, but I feel like, and I hope that this will be something that I will want to make time to play. Yeah, I think for I'm kind of right there with you. I, I probably buy like, I don't know, four video games a year or something like that. And I, I love Indiana Jones so much, so much. And, and from everything that uh, Jacob is saying, it sounds like this will hopefully be one of those four in whatever year this ends up coming out. So I, I will add uh, this. that uh, My one hope is that I know Indiana Jones gets in gunfights and there are body counts in those movies. But Indiana Jones is not a mass murderer. <laughs> and so many like Uncharted, which rips off Indiana Jones constantly fills his levels with just hundreds of bad guys that shoot and you're just constantly firing machine guns. And for the love of God machine games, Indiana Jones does not kill hundreds of people per movie. He maybe he gets in a couple gunfights. Make this a puzzle and exploration game, please. Oh, and also there was a two thousand three game called Indian Jones and Emperor's Tomb, which as far as I can tell was the most recent Indian Jones video game. Okay. All right. Uh okay, Brad, let's talk about a risk TV series that is in the works. What is happening here? There's a Risk TV series in the works, uh, and I, I don't know why, but it is. Um, Bo Willimon, who is uh, the creator of House of Cards on Netflix, is apparently working on this Risk uh, TV series from Entertainment One, which is a production studio that now falls under the banner of Hasbro, um, which is responsible for putting Risk out there along with tons of other board games and toys. And so uh, they've been making a big push recently to turn a lot of their properties into movies and TV shows. Uh, and this is the latest one. Unfortunately, there aren't really any details as to how uh, this board game, which is one of world domination that involves shifting uh, troops uh, across a map of the United States or in other versions of the game, uh, various fictional lands such as Middle Earth uh, or uh, Westeros. 
um, and basically trying to achieve world domination by taking over the entire map through uh, a rolling of the dice and strategically moving them around the world. Um, I don't see how this becomes a movie or a TV series in this case um, without just being another war drama, uh, because I, I don't see that you can easily incorporate the gameplay of Risk uh, into a narrative like this. And I just I just don't know what to expect, why it needs the Risk title when it's really just going to be something, you know, that plays out war in the way that you would expect on the big screen. It's it's all very confusing to me. So unless they do something like bring aliens into the mix like they did with Battleship, I, I don't know what's going on. Brad, it's going to be a Risk movie or Risk series because we can hear a subplot about an army hunkering down in Australia and putting all its armies on the edges of Australia and begging Asia to attack it. And Asia beats up against it and can't get in. And they wear down their armies. And it goes that way for like many, many uh, rounds. I'm sorry, years. And then eventually everybody <laughs> gives it up and stops playing. That is that is the best strategy in Risk, um, for, for sure. I will say that if there's, um, if there's one variant of Risk that lends itself to some kind of interesting uh series it's 2210 ad which is my favorite version of risk um along with risk legacy and it takes place in the future where there there are various countries that have been decimated by nuclear war and the moon is now habitable and there are just tons of different uh gameplay features that make make the game more fun um but yeah i don't i don't know i just i don't see the point Uh, Jacob, this was another reason that I wanted you on the podcast because I know that you're like a big tabletop guy as well. I, I feel like Risk is maybe a little too basic for your your uh, current tastes, but I, I'm sure you have some sort of experience playing this game. What do you make of the idea of a Risk TV show? It's really silly. I mean, Risk is is that is it's a it's a generic war game, as Brad said. It's loosely based in the Napoleonic Wars in its you know original form and the one you still see for seven ninety nine on Walmart and Target shelves, and. Yeah, I will admit that there are some really good risks out there. I think, as Brad said, Risk 2210 AD was the gateway game for me, the one where I realized, oh, board games can be really good. And I you know, I haven't played in years, but it was the board game that made me realize that there are better board games out there, so props to it. But my whole thing is, like, there are so many other, you know, great war board games out there that have, you know, great worlds and themes and are, are rich with detail. This is really just a, a case of a recognizable name being used instead of you know licensing a board game that would require some effort (laughs) yeah yeah um i'm looking at uh bo williman's uh uh, filmography right now and the only things that he's written were the ides of march a tv show called the first that i've never heard of house of cards obviously that's like his big calling card and then uh the 2018 movie mary queen of scots which sort of came and went with barely a whimper so um I mean, he he certainly has experience with like political intrigue and like backstabbing and and sort of um, you know that kind of uh, maneuvering that is necessary that you, that you would think that could maybe be ported over to to something like Risk, but like you guys are saying, it's it's all about war, and it seems like the the inherent nature of Risk is like big and lots going on and huge armies and moving pieces and. It just doesn't seem like Bill, like uh, Bo Williman is like the go-to choice there, but um, I guess we'll I guess we'll find out. So uh, it seems like we're all a little baffled by this one. But uh, HD, let's talk about Netflix for a second. Let's talk about uh, the Netflix unveiled. I think yesterday or, or earlier today. I don't I don't even remember. Who knows with days anymore? But they unveiled their 2021 film slate, 
And there are quite a few titles on here. What, what do we need to know about this? Yeah, Netflix uh, revealed the 2021 film slate, uh, and they also basically made the declaration that there will be a new movie every week this year, which seems quite absurd. But uh, considering the uh, 27 movies that are in this film preview of, I think, 70 movies that they have already set up, uh, including, and I'm sure there'll be more to come with film festivals and all like that, it seems like that could be possible. So there are movies like the uh, Red, like Red Notice, which stars Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, and it was famously one of the most expensive deals i think in hollywood uh when it was when it when the package was purchased um there's films like the netflix sequel to all the boys always and forever which ends the trilogy of rom-coms of the rom-com and there's the leonardo dicaprio jennifer lawrence comedy don't look up that is directed by adam mckay which i think is probably the crown jewel of this of this uh preview slate we have a lot of other ones the uh lin-manuel miranda makes his feature day de- uh, feature directorial debut with tick tick boom Halle berry also makes her feature directorial debut with bruised so um quite a lot of uh, a lot of films in this um preview video yeah and we have like a, a list of the ones that uh were featured here and uh, i encourage people who are looking for who are netflix subscribers and looking forward to uh, watching a bunch of stuff at home this year uh, to check this out because there's there's a lot of things that you'll probably want to put on your radar if you don't know about them already. There's a, a new Zack Snyder movie called Army of the Dead with Dave Bautista. Um, there's a Fear Street movie. There's something called Malcolm and Marie that stars John David Washington and Zendaya that's coming out very soon, I think the beginning of February. So yeah, tons and tons of stuff. Um, but uh, yes, you can you can click on the link in the show notes and, uh, and get more details about some of those projects there. Uh, let's move on. Brad, Ray Fisher has said that he is no longer playing Cyborg in the Flash movie. That is sort of a surprise because evidently the Flash was supposed to be a relatively significant role in the Flash movie. What's going on there? Yes. So as we know, there's been this ongoing controversy with Ray Fisher and Warner Brothers uh, regarding the uh, supposedly inappropriate behavior of Joss Whedon on set during the reshoots. And that also ties to Jeff Johns, uh, the former DC Films president and producer John Berg, also not really uh, putting their best foot forward as far as how certain situations were handled uh, during the production of the repairs of Justice League. And this has uh, essentially led to Ray Fisher taking a stand that uh, because he believes that uh, current DC Films boss Walter Hamada um, has enabled these producers that he will not work with him anymore on any projects whatsoever. And that includes the upcoming Flash movie, which Cyborg was supposed to be a part of. Um, however, uh, the ultimate decision to not be in the Flash apparently wasn't Ray Fisher's, but rather Warner Brothers um, taking him taking him out of the movie and not letting him have the part anymore because he released uh, a full statement today, um, or, or maybe yesterday, but... Um, recently on Twitter, saying that, quote, I have received official confirmation that Warner Brothers Pictures has decided to remove me from the cast of The Flash. Um, we've been hearing for a while that this was The Flash was kind of supposed to be a, uh, a buddy movie of sorts, with um, Cyborg being alongside The Flash for this uh, time travel adventure with ties to the Flashpoint comic series. Uh, but it's gone through so many different hands recently that it's not necessarily clear if Cyborg's part was still as substantial. There were rumblings that maybe it was a smaller part. 
um, so much that uh, rumors last week actually said that the movie was being rewritten and Cyborg was being taken out of the film entirely. Uh, this recent development would seem to indicate that that is likely true unless there's some way that they can figure out how to bring a new version of Cyborg into the movie by way of the time travel elements of Flashpoint or something like that. Uh, but this is definitely the the biggest development yet by having Ray Fisher essentially lose this part that he had uh, in the DC extended universe uh, and was meant to continue. But um, yeah, so it's uh, this is where we're at. And, you know, there, there are a lot of complicated uh, continuing issues with this controversy. And uh, this is just one of the many, you know, things that has come from the fallout. <sighs> Yeah, man, this is um, it's really unfortunate news because I think a lot of people really like that character, um, and it seems like the one of the last times we might be able to see him is in Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max later this year. Uh, because if Warner Brothers is dropping him here and he's like making all this noise and, and really going against the studio because of this, uh, this scenario that he he is fighting for and, and believes in, it seems unlikely that the studio is just going to like you know, wash their hands and be like, or, or, or sort of, uh, you know, forgive and forget, uh, and just be like, okay, yeah, sure. Come, come on back into the fold. It seems like this might be the signal of a larger split, uh, from w- with Ray Fisher and, and the, uh, DCEU. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to continue to track that story as hopefully more specific details are revealed, uh, hopefully sometime soon. Cause we're very curious and a little exhausted by <laughs> all of that news, but, uh, I'm sure not nearly as exhausted as Ray Fisher himself. So hopefully, uh, some some truth begins to come to light there and we can put this whole scenario behind us. Um, the final story that I wanted to mention today, I wanted to toss this out to you guys and get your reactions. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, uh, the director of the, tri- uh, the Trial of Chicago 7, has found his next directorial effort. It is called Being the Ricardos and it is a movie about the story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Uh, the casting for this project has been announced. Nicole Kidman is playing Lucille Ball and Javier Bardem is playing Desi Arnaz. Aaron Sorkin is going to write and direct this movie and he's making it for Amazon Studios. Um, what what the hell? Uh, the very, very strange casting. I think this is you know something that like the internet has, has probably picked through already. But I just wanted to sort of open this up and, and see what your gut reactions, first reactions were when you heard this news. Uh, HT, what, let's start with you. Uh, miscast. Uh, on, on which which uh, member of that cast or both? I think on both cases. I do like Nicole Kidman as an actress. I haven't seen much of her comedy chops outside of maybe Bewitched and some really good pratfalls in Moulin Rouge. But uh, I just don't know if she has the um, if she's completely cast well for Lucille Ball, even though I know this is a biopic and it'll be about behind the scenes, so she probably won't be doing as much of the straightforward comedy stuff, but uh, it's just uh, it just seems like a strange choice. And uh, Javier Bardem, this was one that I uh, was a, not was kind of on the fence about, but someone made the point that um, Desi Arnaz is, I think, Cuban? Yeah, Cuban-American. And uh, they, they could have gone with a Cuban actor rather than Javier Bardem, who is very talented. Um, also, unlikely to play a comedic role, but it's a bio, biopic, so who, I guess who cares really? But um, yeah, it, that seems like a, uh, a missed opportunity for them. Yeah, I'm just confused that, like, why does Aaron Sorkin feel like he's the person to tell this story. Uh, Brad, did you have any any thoughts about this when this uh, casting news came out? 
Uh, you know, I'm I'm interested just because you know uh, I do um, have an affinity for I Love Lucy. I, I kind of grew up watching um, many episodes because it's a favorite of my uh, my mom, and she had uh, watched reruns all the time, and so I'm very familiar with it. And I like Aaron Sorkin a lot as a writer. Um, you know, I, and I'm a bit of an apologist for him as a director too. Uh, Trial of Chicago Seven was one of my favorite movies of 2020, and even though I think that he lacks you know a sort of distinct style. Um, I kind of appreciate that he he more so lets the script and performances, um, you know, speak for themselves. And so I, I'm interested in seeing the story play out. I'm I am less excited about the casting uh, for many of the reasons that um, HT said. Uh, I personally would prefer to see someone like John Leguizamo in the role um, of of uh, of Desi Arnaz. But, you know, maybe that's just me. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm interested, but I just I don't entirely know what to expect from it. Jacob, any thoughts? It's not based on a board game or a video game, so I don't know why I should comment on that. One. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, just uh, I guess to give people a little bit more details, a little bit more information about this project, uh, the film is set during one production week of the show I Love Lucy. So Monday, uh, there's a table read on Monday through the audience filming on a Friday, and Lucy and Desi face a crisis that could end their careers and another that could end their marriage. So that's the... Uh, the description of the plot for the movie. And like, you know, that concept sounds interesting to me. Um, and as Chris, who wrote this article points out, it's the framework sort of sounds similar to what uh, Sorkin did with Steve Jobs, which sort of took place over these like uh, three distinct days in Steve Jobs's life. Um, so the sort of like condensed biopic, it's it's not like one of those, you know, cradle to the grave kind of ones. Um, it's more about a, a very small period in, in people's lives. So I always prefer those kinds of biopics to the ones that are supposed to be, you know, like all encompassing. Um, probably probably allows for a lot of walk and talks, which. Uh, oh, yeah. So many walk and talks. Yeah. And on, on TV sets, which he, uh, I, I won't say perfected, but definitely utilized on Studio 60. Uh, on the Sunset Strip. So since he doesn't actually have to come up with, uh, you know, comedy sketches to fill Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and and, and can let I Love Lucy fill those gaps, hopefully it, it will be a little bit better than that series. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, I, I think I have much more hope for the just this as a as a uh, the script as a piece of art to then the final production is going to end up. Um, Kate Blanchett was originally attached to play Lucille Ball. And I feel like that's a much more interesting uh, piece of casting there, but she ended up falling away from this project and Nicole Kidman ended up getting the role. And I'm just Nicole Kidman is Lucille Ball, man. I, I just can't get over that. I, f I feel like Nicole Kidman, like, <laughs> I wonder if she's like ever told a joke in her life. It seems, it just seems like so far against her skill set. but maybe she'll surprise us. So I think uh, they should I basically guess. recreate Lucille Ball and just um, say, screw it. This is the future. Welcome to the nightmare. Oh man. Wow. Uh, well, wow. hopefully we're not quite there yet, Jacob, but uh, 2021 supposed to be better. Not, not about embracing the nightmare. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see uh, how it goes um, with being the Ricardos. And I'm sure we'll have more casting news as that movie sort of ramps up and gets a little bit closer to production. So stay tuned for that. And I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. So uh, you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com, of course, and linked inside the show notes of this episode this uh, podcast is published uh, we're going to try to maybe start bringing it back to every weekday maybe easing into uh, producing a, a few more episodes than we have been doing lately i know we're going to be uh, talking about uh, wandavision tomorrow so stay tuned for that 
And you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular apps that you can download stuff. You can uh, send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.